counterpoint, how often is raining meteors down from the sky a reasonable option compared to swinging your sword four times? Always. (laughs) (laughs) How'd you expect us to answer that? Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Ellie Odie. I'm Jared Bornicle. And I'm Will Melden. And on this episode, we are doing a fighter retrospective. If you saw our ranger retrospective, it's the exact same thing, but with a fighter. Hopefully more positive. We're uh, going <laughs> to dive through what is a fighter in D&D 5th edition. Did they accomplish that? The changes through, we, we go through chronologically and all the changes that were done with fighters as they released and should be interesting stuff. And then we'll to ultimately take a look at what uh, we'd like to see in the future. Before we dive into all that, I just feel like it should be generally acknowledged our format change. We uh, got proper recording software and good lighting. At least some of us did. Will. And <laughs> hopefully it should all be looking better. If you have an opinion on it, let us know in the comments. But I feel like it needed to be, like, be vaguely said and acknowledged. Like, yeah, it's looking different. Hopefully higher quality for everything. Anyways, Will's I'm trying to maintain... Yeah, Will's trying to maintain that dungeon aesthetic, and yeah. I, I don't think we should squish his dreams. Yeah, I'd say with the new recording software, at first when he came in, his uh, background that he, I'm sorry, it's not a real background, was not there, and we saw the horror that is the back of his uh, apartment. It's a cave. <laughs> yeah, it it's, was uh, quite upsetting. It's, it's like he took everything we talked about in our Demon Lord episodes and was like, let me make that my aesthetic. <laughs> Spikes, hanging Spikes. bodies, mold, slime. <laughs> yeah. slime. Where, where do you even get that much slime? Like, are you a Nickelodeon exec and you're not telling us? Stealing from Nickelodeon headquarters, yes. <laughs> All right. I don't even know how much of that's going to make it into the actual episode, but. <laughs> so, fighters, uh, this is. <laughs> a class in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I think, Ellie, you kind of covered everything we're going to be discussing, but I think the uh, right way to start this off is just what is a fighter? Uh, And what does it mean, not just in the context of Dungeons and Dragons, but what does it mean to us personally? Uh, So let's, let's start with Will. What do you consider to be a fighter? What to you makes the quintessential fighter? The quint... It goes all the way back to even before D&D. D&D originally came from miniature war games where people pretended to be knights and have their little war games going on. And then they added magic. So there's something so fundamental to the fighter class, to D&D, that it goes beyond D&D. It is the character who fights. It's so... general it's ridiculous it's anybody who utilizes weapons in a trained fashion and i it's just i think you you, no you actually i mean right away i think bring up a a good point where it does go beyond D &D. it it is a lot of what gives the genre its distinct feeling the idea that this isn't just a a wizard fight uh this isn't harry potter where everybody has magic it's here are normal people who are able to go above and beyond and compete with these these magic users and and everything else 
Um, so that's, and I feel like you were trying to say that as if like, it was like a very blunt, obvious statement, but that actually had some, some nuance to it. Good job, Will. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. <laughs> um, I would say it falls apart a little bit when you start taking a look at barbarians and rogues in the mix, they classically don't use magic either. And they are fighters. I think what sets fighters really apart is their versatility to use almost anything. They are proficient in every weapon and every armor type. Barbarians are not. Paladins are not. Or uh, paladins are. Rogues are not. Paladins are kind of... I think they're originally a uh, prestige class of fighters. Where they're fighters who got holy magic. So in some way, they almost kind of feel like upgraded versions. But balance-wise, in 5th edition, I don't think they do. But um, Interesting, though, with the fighter, I, I think it's, it's versatility in character creation. Not necessarily in play. When you go to create the character, it's really wide open. If I like, do strength or dex, what type of armor, what type of weapons do you want to use? How do you want to fight? How do you want to handle things outside of combat? Things like that. But as you start making these decisions, it does lock you down. Right. In the More, way yeah. that, that just if you look at, again, rules is written. D&D, you can't easily switch between a uh, a sword, like a great sword, and a longbow because one strength, the other one's dexterity. So unless you've equally put in your skills uh, to, to both columns here, you don't have that full ability to just use whatever, even if the right. game stats say, hey, you're you're trained in all of these things. You might have a, you know, 11 dex and a 20 strength because hey, you didn't really need dexterity. And that takes away your your versatility a little bit. Right, or your fighting style. I mean, there are fighting right. styles you could pick, which are weapon agnostic, I guess is the term I'll use there, where it doesn't matter what you use, but a lot of times you're picking a fighting style that is for one particular weapon type. And then that also kind of locks you in. In a sense, they almost kind of feel like polar opposite of wizards in that versatility sense. Wizards, obviously there are, in both these cases, like you could have fighters that use magic and you could make wizards that have subclasses that use martial stuff. So there are exceptions, but if you just kind of look at the core fighter and core wizard, a wizard is, you don't have armor and they're spellcasters. That's what they are. They're the quintessential spellcaster. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room there in building that character. They need intelligence and they're going to focus on magic. But then they get a huge spell book and they prepare spells and they're really versatile on a day-to-day basis. Whereas a fighter, they are really versatile up front. You have this huge smattering of what makes a fighter a fighter. But once you make those character creations choices, they are very much locked into this is what this one character does. Yeah, that's fair to say. And I think there's probably an, an attempt mechanically to overcome that with the additional ASIs and the optional feat rule. Uh, but even then, it it generally pays off to specialize rather than exactly. to try and get everything. Right, right. Yeah, that's more character creation stuff where it's very versatile where, yeah, you get an additional ASI so you could generally you know, pick more feats. Usually right. is what you see and to, again, more specialized into a particular combat style. Yeah, now I'm like curious because I don't think we've ever had a fighter who intentionally tried to be like just well-rounded. And, and actually switch between like maybe martial and ranged attacks and, you know, ignore feats in order to just get ASIs and, and prove all your skills. So that way you're actually good at every weapon. Um, right. But you can do that. That would almost be its own type of fighter. It's like, oh, what do you do? I'm actually good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> Not the best, but I'm pretty darn good at it. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. One thing that I always see is that I know with, with fighters, people will often say they just kind of lack flavor. And I think a lot of that comes from what you're talking about, Ellie, where there's at the beginning, just so many choices, but the, the fighter itself just kind of feels like, you know, what do you do? Well, I fight and that's, that's it. Um, and I, I will say, and I know we're all on the, the same page with that is that it's, usually not the case when we talk about fighters i mean they're the idea is that they're they're simple in their structure but that doesn't mean that they lack flavor it means that they are an open book and you can make it really whatever you want it to be Mm -hmm. um so whereas the class itself does kind of feel like it's somebody who's good at fighting that is your starting point uh by no means needs to be the the end point right and and the they're good at fighting. That is also really another big part of it because they're, they're not just generic soldiers or somebody who picked up a weapon and helped defend their town. At one point, they are trained fighters. There might be natural skill that gets them there or something like that. But they are above and beyond what most people are capable of in martial combat. So then from a, a flavor perspective, what is really liked about fighters? To me, it is what I guess I mentioned earlier. Maybe I should have saved that for after, but it's the the versatility in them. Yeah, I agree with that. The versatility to be able to kind of kind of create any type of character you want, with obviously within some reason. Um, there, and really, no other class competes in just pure martial ability, and especially the ability to just keep going. Right, they don't get weaker. They're very much a short rest class. All of their stuff, like Action Surge and um, Second Wind and Martial Dice and all that, come back on short rests. I don't know if they have anything that's longer. I'm sure there's something. Maybe Indomitable. But that's... Indomitable is, I think, a, a short yeah, rest. But or I, long rest way, ability. Yeah, Man, yeah like Barbarians have their Rage, which I should have looked it up before I started saying this with any sort of confidence. Yes, yep, Barbarians Rage is long rest. Uh, paladins have their spells, which are all long rest. I guess rogues are another one that could kind of keep going, but they, they rogues are not tanky. They're they're the opportunist and stuff. They obviously can take hits and be kind of up in the fray like a fighter, but they usually don't survive well. They're not great at that. Where the fighter just keeps going and going and going and going and going, just needs hour long breathers here and there. And even that, I would I would say that what does go away and only come back on a short rest is not core to what they do. It's just supplementary. Whereas a barbarian outside of rage is kind of just a junky fighter. A fighter without his second wins and action surges is just a fighter. Right. (laughs) And it's the inflection and that really helps. Yeah, no, it is. It's still a fighter with all of the feats that you may have, all of the the skills that you have, uh, I guess, stats that you may have. Because again, generally higher than others. And whereas a barbarian, sure, they can kind of keep tanking as their their rages go away. They're going to be a lot worse at it uh, when they they don't have the ability to get their AC up to, you know, 21, 22 as a fighter can with plate and shields and, and everything else that they need. Um, right. Barbarians are in that way kind of locked where if they aren't, if they don't have their rage, then they're just getting hit and kind of as big a meat bags as anybody else would be. Right. Yeah, because they don't get the resistance or anything. Right. Yeah, and fighters get all their extra attacks, which obviously don't go away. They're the only ones who get more than two attacks. They'll get their third attack at 11th and fourth attack at 20th. 
And so I think there's I, some I, debate around that with monks since it's so easy for them to get a third attack. But sure, yes, but it has to be right. unarmored with certain. There's a lot of stipulations on it, or they use yes. they have to use key, which is very limited. Yes. A fighter in the first encounter of the day and a fighter in the twentieth encounter of the day hits the same. They play the same, assuming there's short rest in there, which is kind of built around making sure the party gets at least the occasional short rest. In terms of dislikes, at least especially in the early fighters like the original one, player handbook, they really lack in utility. Like yeah. to, to a really sad amount, it's kind of outside of combat. Fighters could be left feeling like, oh, what is there to do? I am a fighter and there's nothing to fight. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that's the the major thing that we hear even now is that there's the martial spellcaster disparity. It's that mm-hmm. as you get into the mid to higher levels, spellcasters have the ability to do wild things and you know fly around and create darkness and levitate objects and all these things. And what can a fighter do? Well, they can still just fight. <laughs> right. And directly related to that, their their playstyle could kind of get tedious. And like, I really like fighters for like a month or two. We have a tendency to do like three year long campaigns because we're crazy. But so I'm I'm, we're, I'm used to you know long long characters from like level one to high tier, and it takes us three years to get there. Fighters, I get bored of in probably two three months because they they are so consistent. It is kind of doing the same thing every single combat. It's kind of just the same stuff you could do. And yes, there are like, it's not just hitting. There are people who criticize all you do is swing to hit. It's like, no, you get additional things. You could pick when you do action surge. You could do shove attacks and grapples and trips. And and depending on the subclass, it can really change up a lot. I mean, if you're talking about some of the newer, the the psionic warrior fight or whatever that one is, um, that has a ton of things that you can do with your side dice. And, you know, the... Battlemaster obviously has their maneuvers and whatnot. Definitely when you look at the player's handbook one, again, you've got the, the Battlemaster and the champion. The champion, you're not doing anything. You're and the Eldritch just, Knight. Yeah, Eldritch Knight is, you've got like two spells. So <laughs> once those are gone, they're gone. Right. Um, I, I will say, I think that to some extent, something that I like about fighters is that they... I guess this kind of harkens back to the earlier days of D&D. They do feel like the start of a class. And then I want a multi-class out of them where they feel like a really good starting point. And then as you oh, yeah. find specialization, it feels really nice to kind of step out of that and be like, oh, I was a fighter, but now I want to take up this oath and become a paladin. Or now I want to, you know, uh, protect the wilderness and I'm going to be a ranger or I've taken interest in this. Like it's just no matter which direction that you're campaign goes i feel like you have set yourself up for success and to me that is nice because a lot of characters no matter what class you're playing you're going to get bored of after six months after a year but if you've locked yourself into a a wizard you don't really have a ton of directions you can go you can't say well i'm going to be a bard now sorry your charisma is eight and that's not going to work. Uh, you could go into a fighter. That's probably not going to feel very worthwhile at this point. Whereas on the other way around, if you're a year into a campaign and you're a fighter, you're level nine and you're like, I'm going to take a level or two in wizard. That's great. You're, go- you're Again, you're set up for success. This is still going to work out for you. Right. Assuming they build a score to there, which fighters do get a lot of. So. 
Right. Yes. Right. Assuming the ability scores there is probably the, the most important part of that. But if if the directions are there, uh, then, yeah, I think it's it's a great way to just set yourself up for a long term campaign. If you're the type of person who knows that you get kind of bored after a while. And if you're going to get bored after a while anyways, start with a fighter. Right. But yeah, definitely. I would agree. Hands down. Fighters are probably the absolute best multi-class. Just the best potential for it. It's really hard to pick a bad class to multi-class with a fighter. They, in one way or the other, they could all be good. Some yeah, better than others, just, but... Right. Even if you're just getting action surge, it's like, yep, that worked. Yep. That was worthwhile. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> worth it. Yeah. So... Any more on the likes or dislikes? All right. Yeah. So I think that kind of... That was a very revealing sidebar with the multi-class thing because it does reveal a big problem with D&D in that any kind of real tactics is kind of gated behind magic. Uh, your mm. flavor in combat, like how do you get more flavor out of the out of the fighter? It's like, oh, become magical by some kind of means, which I, in, my, in my eyes, that actually does kind of suck. And there's no easy fix to it. And I, I will I guess, acknowledge, though, the Battlemaster is kind of the exception, but that's one subclass that it it just feels like the Battlemaster is the fighter and they should not have been separated. I think that's my yes. big thing on the flavor. I agree with that. I I'm think sure. we've talked about it on a previous episode where mm-hmm. the Battlemaster feels like the quintessential fighter, where the, that should just be the base fighter. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that throughout the rest of this conversation. Uh, but to some extent, I do disagree. I mean, looking at the the Cavalier, for example, that to me feels very much like a fighter, and it doesn't have any particular magic to it. Um, it has some like unwavering mark, but that doesn't feel like it needs to be arcane in nature. Uh, the Samurai is another one that is not magic-leaning at all, and it still has that that fighter feeling to it. And there's more that you can do in combat besides literally just swinging your sword. Um, I'd also argue that feats change this up a pretty considerable amount uh, where it becomes less about what you're actually doing with your turn. Sure, on your turn, you're saying I attack, but it's also about moving into correct positioning, making sure that you have different uh, tactical spots, whereas let's let's say for a wizard, and obviously they've got tons of choices to make for a wizard. The best tactical place to be is at a distance so that you can cast spells and not have people demolish you. And that's about it. So in that case, like, is moving that interesting? Do you really care about enemy placement at all beyond hopefully they get close and I can cast fireball? Uh, Whereas a fighter is the one who can actually move them to those positions. They can shove, they can grapple, they can, you know hold a certain position in order to keep enemies from going past if they have, uh, What's the one feat? Sentinel? Sentinel, Is that the yeah. one? Sentinel. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to me, I will say that if, if we're looking at 5th edition without feats, I would agree that I think fighters lose so, 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 so much. But when we do open the, the game up with feats, which I'd say most tables do, probably, I, I just don't know if I can say that that fighters don't get to do anything besides attack. Well, no, we weren't saying that. It's just... It is... I, having a being a full spellcaster is just quite frankly, quite factually, if you list out options in combat, a lot more options and a lot more ways to affect things than a fighter has. Yeah, and yes, true. there are times when the, the fighter 
any marshal really has more interesting things to do in combat in terms of positioning and locking things down. But there's also a lot of combats where it's they're just standing next to each other and trading blows as the wizard does stuff in the back. I, I would say it's probably about the same for however many times the fighter really needs to get all tactical and exactly where they stand and trying to move things around is the same amount of times a full spellcaster in the back is going to need to get all tactical about how to position themselves to get a spell in a certain direction and an exact place that they need it. it. It's probably all about the same. And I'm going to counter signal the feats thing because let's just get this out of the way first. Feats kind of suck and they're in the wrong place. <laughs> You, are you going to elaborate? No. <laughs> it's bad. Um, uh, no, I, there's like these really cool tactical builds that are just utterly dependent on essentially burning an ASI. And it they don't match the other feats first and foremost. There's like the standouts. And we're talking about, of course, like the great weapon uh, master and sentinel and polar master sentinel polar master is like its own thing, but it's like hidden in the feet section. Sure. Mm-hmm. There's also like ranged ones, sharpshooter crossbow yeah. expert. Yeah. Which I would actually kind of say is a little bit dull, but they're very good. Yeah. Well, dull in what way? And like from a flavor perspective, it's not as interesting as your 10 foot lockdown sentinel polar master build. Sure, sure. That does take two feats to get to, but yes, right. it is. It is interesting. But that's it, in that's, certain situations, though. Yeah, people like to like praise that one. It's like this crazy combination, and people even talk about banning those two from their table. And I don't know. It's like so you have a character who dedicated two feats to being good in a situation when like it, they can only do it once around because he uses the reaction. If the thing they're fighting has a ten foot reach, it doesn't matter. If the thing they're fighting has range, it doesn't matter. If they have any sort of teleportation and magic, it doesn't matter. If there's one that one enemy, it only kind of matters. And then they need a hit. If they don't hit, it doesn't matter. It's not that crazy, I don't think. No. I know that's not, not specifically what we were talking about. But but I, what I'm saying is it's not that crazy to be able to do all those things. And we were talking like positioning and how there's that tactical element to that. But there really kind of isn't in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Opportunity attacks from a fighter are not a big deal. Nothing really matters about facing. We've got like five foot shoves. It's, there's not a lot of talk to, tactical gameplay outside of the gigantic spell list, which each one of those spells, useful in combat, is essentially its own tactical approach to the situation. That's fair. I, I don't think I can I can specifically argue it. Yes. At the end of the day, spellcasters have a lot more tactical choices to make. That is, I think, just factually correct. I know I said that too, but hearing hearing you say it, it's like, oh, that sounded like, that made me cringe a little. That's not a thing you say on the internet. You never get that hold on something you broadcast out to the internet factually correct. <laughs> Well, looking, I mean, even if you compare, we'll just say compare the entire feat list to the end and actions you can take outside of, you know, attacking. So trip, shove, grapple. Um, I think that's it. Disarm. I think you can try and do as well. I think that's one. I'm pretty sure. Is a full action? I don't know. Maybe. That's that's got to be it. Can we pause and look that one up? I feel like we're going to sound like big idiots if we're like, let's do a fighter retrospective. Can you disarm? Are you allowed to do that? 
I know it's a battle master thing. I know it's yeah. that. Okay, it's on the DMG 271. And is it a variance or because like in the player handbook, there's nothing in like the attacking section? Is it DMG? DMG. I know. So is it a variant? Because in the player handbook, it has like, here's the actions. Here's the special type of attacks, like opportunity attacks, two weapon fighting, grappling, and shoving, yes. which encompasses trip. So there's a disarming variant. Okay. So it, it, the uh, heading is, this section provides new op- action options for combat. They can be added as a group or individually to your game. And there's a bunch of them. And they actually do a little bit to improve the situation, but they're also in a section I don't think 90% of the entire community has read. Well, that just seems like an issue with the community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's switch this podcast okay. well, over then, to complaining no. about the community. Well, no, no, I think that does that is fair to say, though, that there's like, hey, there is a section to do more things than just attack as a fighter. Maybe if you have access to that, you should read it and talk about it at your table, because that sounds like a good thing to add. The fact that it wasn't added as a, a base thing is a problem. I will agree with that, but that's it not makes to me say wonder that if it's there's balance good. issues. Like what sort in, of stuff's in there? I don't know. I haven't you, found it yet. <laughs> There's overrun. Uh, you can tumble through people's spaces. There's mark. I mean, this stuff is a little bit weird. What chapter is this? Uh, this is a Dungeon Master's Workshop, which is something that comes up oh. a lot. Because people will be like, wouldn't it be cool if D&D Combat had? Options. And then it's there in it here. There we go. Okay, yeah, so we've got climbing onto a bigger creature, disarm, mark, overrun, shove aside, and tumble. So shove officially is one of these. Oh, okay, that's shoving them to the side instead of backwards. So yeah, I mean, so you have these these action options, again, that's in Chapter 9, Dungeon Master's Workshop, and under Combat Options. So these are things that a fighter can do, and a lot of them do specify that you use a, a weapon attack. Um, so whereas other creatures, if they wanted to do one of these, they'd have to sacrifice an entire action. Fighters get off on just doing it as one of their attacks. Disarm is one of those options. A creature can use a weapon attack to knock a weapon or another item from a target's grasp. The attacker makes an attack roll contested by the target's athletics check or dex or sorry, or acrobatics check. Uh, if the attacker wins the contest, the attack causes no damage or other ill effect, but the defender drops the item. So I've seen that brought up where that means a fighter could try to disarm a spellcaster who has a focus. So that's fantastic. I mean, if you have a wizard, what's the best way to uh, really disable them? It's taking away one of their, their main ways of casting spells. Not many people use or specify that they're using a component pouch. And on top of that, there's not that many spells that don't require materials. There are some, don't get me wrong, but you're really limiting the spellcaster's pool if you have a way of taking that away from them. Yeah, that's a really great use of it. But, I mean, maybe this is more becoming a discussion on why these combat options should be uh, more used and why people should read this. <laughs> but I think it is, to some extent, helpful to, to talk about with why people find fighters to be lacking. It's because they don't realize that these things exist and put them in their game. Right. And instead, they focus on flanking. And that's that's a rant in its own right. Flanking's not fun. Right. What? And also all of this stuff 
<laughs> Stop it, Will. Don't do that to me. I need a tactical <laughs> game with no facing or flanking rules. All right, bud. <laughs> Just turn your back on the knife-wielding maniac. That seems safe. That's not what flanking is, though, in 5th edition. No, oh, it's, no. It's sandwich. I'll give you this. There's still no flanking facing. in 5th edition is terrible. Yes. yes, that's what we're saying. We, we are not like morally opposed to the idea of flanking. Yes, flanking from a real life. I flank people all the time, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That would be such a weird stance to take. Yeah, flanking's actually not that tactically advantageous. Like, what are you talking about? No, it's... It's The the mechanics in 5th edition D&D flanking, I think, is really shit. There we go. Yes. And and there is actually... There's facing rules in D&D, too. They're just somewhere else. And they're also weird. They're... All of the, they've like demeted the entirety of martial combat and put it all in the DMG, which nobody in the community has ever read. <laughs> Once. <laughs> I am the only one who has ever read this book. <laughs> See, the worst part is you could claim that and no one would be able to dispute you. Exactly. Because they, they haven't never read, read it. it. <laughs> all right. Back on the fighter, I think we could jump into yes. some specifics. Um, so just to recap all that, we like the versatility. We like how consistent they are. Like from first encounter to 20th encounter, they're hitting and performing just as well. We don't like their lack of out-of-combat utility and feel like they could fall behind casters, especially as at higher levels. I also don't like that longbows are decks. <laughs> but that's probably its, its own thing. Okay. <laughs> it takes away, like, if you're a strength fighter, you don't have any ranged options besides throwing yeah. javelins. That's that's not good. It takes away a lot of the benefit of being a fighter, which is being able to be versatile in different situations. If you need to be a ranged attacker, if you're a dex fighter, you're basically good in, in any way. You're just doing consistently less damage because your weapon dice are lower. Uh, but a longbow is a weapon that in real life, just like flanking, um, in real life takes a lot of strength. So it just, it's one of those like ones I kind of want to wish could be switched a bit. It takes both and it's more complicated. Than no, that. it, it has like a gate. You have to be certain level of strong and then you have to aim it. That's right, where right. the like goodness comes from. Right. But of course it would be super convoluted to say, let's have a strength, a minimum strength requirement on a longbow, and you need to use dexterity in order to hit with it. That's not fifth edition. So I I would rather just be like, yeah, use either. It's fine. Athletics or acrobatics, your call. (laughs) (laughs) That, yeah. Athletics or acrobatics. Not the, nope. Those two skills. (laughs) Those two. (laughs) Oh, you're not proficient in acrobatics? You can't shoot a longbow. You gotta be proficient in acrobatics (laughs) if you're a rogue. It's required. (laughs) The rogue just doing gymnastics every day. (laughs) Tumbling balance beams. Gotta be prepared. You're a rogue. All right. So that's, that's it. That's my final piece. I wanted to get that in there. See, in terms of specifics, we won't talk about every through every feature and every feature of every subclass, but we do like to, with these retrospectives, go through the order that they release. Like, here's the player handbook fighter. What does it fall short on? Then the next thing they did is this Sword Coast Adventure Guide in this case. Did that fix anything? It didn't. And then we just kind of work our way through. 
<laughs> that should just be the tagline for Sword Coast Adventure Guide. Did it fix anything? No. <laughs> Uh, before we do get into this section, if you are enjoying what you've seen so far, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, all of those things. Look at us growing up. We got the proper <laughs> setup. We remember to do that early on in an episode and not three hours into it. Anyways, so <laughs> fighters, yeah, they get um they get every access to any fighting style. There there's later on in Tasha's when it has more fighting styles, there's some that they don't get. But up until that point, there might be some obscure ones and some odd books here and there. But for the most part, any fighting style that is in the game, fighters have the option of taking. So that speaks a lot for their the versatility and character creation. But then once you pick it, it does kind of lock you down. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I could probably argue that a little bit of it locking you down. It gives you an obvious spot that you're better in. Um, like, for example, the uh, great weapon fighting is with two-handed weapons. You get to re-roll uh, your damage dice if you roll a one or a two obviously the benefit is if you're using that weapon great you're in a good position but if you're in a situation where you don't want to use that it's not like you're actively hindered from picking up a different weapon like yeah if that comes up for whatever reason that's true but it does definitely incentivize specializing and just sticking with what you're good at because in some senses it's like if i pick up this other weapon i will hit less often and do less damage because it's not my fighting style. It is a hindrance. Right. But if you're in a situation where maybe high AC is like a must, you're like, well, I I can pick up a shield. Whereas a barbarian doesn't have that option. A monk doesn't have that option. Right. Yeah, that's fair. They get second win, which goes a lot into being able to keep going where eyes of bonus action they regain some health and this is something they could do once per short rest so it just really adds into that and then action surge action surge is the big one of fighters um i would say this actually kind of goes against everything i've just been saying about the versatility and character creation but things locked them down there is a crazy amount of versatility in being able to take two actions in a round be able to essentially go twice it's yeah. there's always uses for it. I've seen it used in beautifully creative ways. I've also seen it used just for people to get a shit ton of attacks and put something down a lot quicker than the DM expected and everything in between. I've seen it used where somebody cast Eldritch Blast six times and misses every single one of them. You know, it's <laughs> crazy what you can do with action search. <laughs> Rest in peace, Kresk. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I don't think you've ever... I don't think I've ever once seen somebody say that action surge is anything short of amazing. It is just one of those abilities that is simple. It's useful. It should be used every single short rest. And it's just, it's just great. (laughs) And fighters are the only ones who get it. Yep. And that also then adds in a lot to what we're saying about how they are so great with multi-classing. This is like the main reason if you're just taking like a, Quick dip into fighter, go two levels and get action surge. And I think you said it earlier, Jared, for any class could benefit from that. A wizard would love action surge, even if right. they don't take the armor or the weapon weapon proficiencies or anything like that. Yeah, and then from there, I mean, they don't really get, obviously they get their subclass at third level, and I'm sure we'll be mm-hmm. talking about the subclasses more. But in terms of their base class features, they don't get many different named things uh, at 
sixth level, they get their ability score improvement. I guess I should say a fifth level, they get an extra attack, their first extra attack. Uh, then sixth level, they get their first ASI two levels earlier than most because most are waiting until eighth second level for ASI. that. Everyone gets a four. Yes, sorry. Uh, yeah, they get their second ASI earlier than most. Then they get another at eighth. So as we were talking about earlier, it's just opportunities to get feats that usually you don't have. Then at ninth level, we get Indomitable, which is a interesting feature where they're able to re-roll a failed saving throw. I don't really like this, but I wanted to see what you guys said first. I've played a fighter with it. On paper, it sounds wonderfully useful. And then in play, I maybe it saved me once. Yeah. It's the fact that it's a reroll that just kind of loses yeah. me. Usually when we're talking about just things you have, you know, like let's say a paladin's aura. Obviously that's like stronger. That's a major class feature for the paladins. But we're talking about adding plus three to five on every single saving throw that you and your teammates make. It's like, wow, that feels useful. That's going to come mm-hmm. up a lot. The difference is incredible. This, it's like, yeah, maybe once every couple of months it's going to feel useful (laughs) sometimes you might get a lucky streak and it's like oh yeah i'm so glad i have indomitable i used it twice in two sessions great i'm glad that it worked out for you statistically speaking it's just not that good if you have a minus two to your charisma and you're making a charisma save you're probably going to fail that save twice right yeah and the fact that it comes back in a long rest it's the only fighter ability that really does that outside of maybe some subclass stuff it doesn't fit i think it should be a short rest i want to break anything and then another aspect of it that really sucks is usually if the DM asks you to make a save, it's kind of like, oh, the enemy does a thing, make a wisdom save. And then you go around the table and then the fighter fails like, oh, I failed. It's like, do I want to use a thing of indomitable for this or does it not matter? Yeah. What what are they doing? What am I saving against? You generally don't know. That's a I very think, good point. Yeah. I guess you could, it feels really cheesy to, Fail the save, the DM explains what happens, and then the fighter goes, no, 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 never mind. I don't want that to happen. Let me try Indomitable, and let's see if we can wreck on that. I would would say that is not the intent of Indomitable, and that would be something that you should probably discuss with your DM if you're going to try and do, and ask them, hey, can we make Indomitable a little more interesting to me because I'm finding it lacking? And these three people on the internet said that this would be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, I hope somebody uses us as reference to their DM. <laughs> but Muzzy's a multi-class said it. We're dumb. We don't know anything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, probably going to bring this up again when we get to more of the wrap up. But I do think Indomitable would be made a lot better by making it a legendary resistance. If you fail, you succeed instead. Deal with it. That's really cool. Yeah, look at that. Just like we just one. made it. In- yep. One okay. for long rest. Keep it the long rest stuff. Uh, but they, it, it's it's literally called indomitable. But in reality, it just makes it difficult to domitable, and that like it's just an inaccurate name in the first place. Indomitable to me says you can just succeed. You choose, and you that's something that no other class has, and would make them go a, a long way, in my opinion, in those really scary fights. I, that's like mm-hmm. the one time that a fighter gets to 
give the the DM the middle finger in a friendly way, of course, uh, in, in the same way that a DM does to the players when they they get their polymorph off and you go, ha, legendary resistance, deal with it. Right, right. Uh, it, it would just feel a lot better. And that's that's one yeah. of those ones that I feel like if next time we've got a fighter at the table and we get to level nine, probably going to be tossing that out to them. Yeah, and then fighters from there, the base class, it's just an improvement of what they already got. And uh, the next thing, there's obviously the class features, but then like at 11th, they get a third attack. Uh, 12th and 14th ability score improvements. I really 16th. forget how many they get. Yeah, 12th, 4th. <laughs> they get two extra. That's it, yeah. actually. It feels like a ton, but it's just at 6th and 14th. Those are, that's it. But it feels like a ton. It It is a ton, though, when you when you think about it. That's... I mean, you don't have that many ability score increases in the first place. There's, what, four in total? So you're getting 50% more. When I put that number on, it sounds pretty big, yeah, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, it's somewhere there you get the extra indomitable use, and then it just keeps going up like that. Right. And no really major things to speak of until 17th, where you get a second action surge per short rest. Mm-hmm. Again, not a different named feature, but super useful. And then at 20th, your capstone, you, the pinnacle of fighting, can swing your weapon or shoot your bow four times in a round. Every round. (laughs) Damage-wise, consistent damage-wise, it is kind of unprecedented. It really lends that idea that fighters are good all freaking day. Right. A lot of the other ones, I mean, if we look at like a sorcerer's where they get a meta magic point back or something, or like a couple meta magic points, sorcery points. Sorry, um, a monk gets a few key points back. A ranger's is obviously worthless. Paladins get to go god mode for like a round or some, or like a turn, not a turn, a combat. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, right. You know, we either get these capstones that are kind of not super amazing or just kind of let you continue doing what you're supposed to be able to do because your resources are tapped fighters are like no no no, your resources are not tapped ever uh so honestly as it can feel a little bit underwhelming as a capstone it is kind of great it is and it can add up fast especially if you're a heavy hitter you have a great sword so 2d6 that's every single round doing an extra 2d6 plus 5 damage Ignoring the potential for feats, obviously, on, on right. top of that. Not to yeah, mention, yeah, especially if you have great weapon master, 2d6 yeah. plus 15 <laughs> extra yeah, damage insane. every single round. And it combos with action surges to an extent, right? Right, yeah, yeah. entirely. Uh huh. And it gives you more versatility of grappling and shoving and things like that. Yeah, throwing a grapple check on feels a lot more worthwhile when you're sacrificing a single one of your attacks i mean you can, you can grapple in one four turn. people <laughs> <laughs> just imagine you just like are spinning in a circle and like grabbing people by the shirts and just like pitting all just their like shirts bunching together. them under your armpits yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would allow it if you could justify it if there's if they're if they're prone i would allow it you stand on two of them and then you lean forward and grab the other two so you're kind of like on all fours. Sure. I guess. <laughs> like, I got him. I'm pinning him down. What's your justification? You also... I'm the most powerful fighter probably ever. Huh? Right. <laughs> and let's also not forget that on top of all those grapples, you would also be able to swing your sword. <laughs> <laughs> Mouth. 
<laughs> oh man all right this this is just guts from berserk yeah. um no so <laughs> but uh well, i feel like i was actually gonna say something of value the <laughs> fact that on Fuck one turn too, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a new segment on the podcast good content <laughs> I meant from my own like ramblings, not from yours. You're fine. No. Uh, the fact that you can grapple, trip, and make two attacks against a creature puts you as a, a very strong single target lockdown mm-hmm. lockdowner. That's that's your role. What's your thing? I'm a single target lockdowner. <laughs> Then in the player handbook, it came with three martial archetypes, three subclasses, champion, battlemaster, and eldritch knight, which I think are worth all three talking about because it really does say a lot of their kind of initial intentions of the different flavors of fighter. Um, And let's start with battlemaster because as we already said, it really feels, based on all the flavor and the lore, it really does feel like the battlemaster should almost be the base fighter of the maneuvers and superiority dice and all that. Summary of the Battlemaster, they receive a resource called the uh, Maneuver Dice, and they can... Superiority Dice. Superiority Dice, thank you. Should have had that up. Uh, Superiority Dice that they can choose to expend either when making an attack, before an attack. They basically get a list of maneuvers to choose from that they can add to their repertoire and say that, you know, I'm going to make this a trip attack. So when you hit this creature, you roll opposing dice you get to add your superiority die to the attack and if you succeed you trip them and you do damage to them great things like that and it as ellie mentioned just really feels like what a fighter should be able to do at all times and to will's point much earlier it adds a bunch of tactics that they can choose to do at all times yeah i've seen and seen people suggest to go as far all martial classes should have these baked in it should be an overarching thing. And to strengthen Which the point that idea. we believe that this is the case, there are two ways of doing this, kind of. There's a feat to get this stuff. Yeah. And there's also a fighting style that was added. Yep. They both right, stink. Tasha's. It, they're like they're multiple limited. admissions. Yeah, I know it's limited, but it's almost an admission. It's like, this kind of doesn't feel like a subclass, does it? Nope. Yeah, it's that it's that versatility at character creation that gets narrowed down after you make your picks. Uh, it really shows your superiority on the battlefield in martial combat over anyone else, just because like rank and file soldiers and militia and stuff like that can't just naturally do this. Yeah, I'd say from that perspective, it's why I'd argue this should be for fighters only. I don't like the idea of giving it to all marshals. It seems like it's an overcorrection and there's other That's ways to, to help out the marshal, the other marshal classes that aren't giving them superiority dice. To I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Like a barbarian or a rogue getting, uh, like, I don't know any of these. I don't know. Yeah. Any of them. Yeah, Perry. Well, Perry would a barbarian Perry. No barbarian would Perry a rogue Perry. <laughs> yeah, Maybe they, they could get a slim down thing, uh, but a barbarian or rogue getting like rally, or stuff like that. The a ranger can have whatever attack. the ranger wants. <laughs> Nobody wants to hurt. But the they're, they're not. Anymore. They're not marshals. They're half casters. Yeah, I'm sure that you could ask the question of like, should they should be full marshals only get this? And no. regardless, I mean that's right. that's my general stance on it. Is I don't think that it would. Work. I don't think it would be best to give this to everybody. But I 
do agree. I think fighters should probably get this for for any of the subclasses. <clears throat> that said, yeah. for the longest time, the Battlemaster, because of these, was considered the best fighter. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it, it really just felt... pick. Yeah, it felt was very strong. I've played them myself. They feel very good. I mean, they just feel good to play. You feel like right. you've got a lot of options uh, as you get later into the levels on it, which I've never played a high-level Battlemaster. Uh, you have a lot of options. They do a good job of, of making sure you add more and more. Uh, I think... Yeah, more superiority dice, more maneuvers. The superiority dice goes up to D6, D8, D10, etc. Do you get more superiority or they dice? Start... You start with four. I don't think you get more, though. I could have swore you did. But at but for the maneuvers, yes, you get two additional at seventh, tenth, and fifteenth. So you start with three, you go up to five, seven, and nine. That's a lot of options. Yeah, and yeah, at seventh and fifteenth, you each gain another superiority dice. Ah, there it is. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And they increase, don't they, or do they start at? They just stay at the eight, eight, and then they increase. Though there I'm not is. seeing that anywhere. Yep. Improved combat superiority at 10th level. They turn into D10s. At 18th, they turn into D10s. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah. We know this stuff. It's in our heads. It's just, it's hidden in the text and we have right. to uncover it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, let's talk about maybe some of the other subclasses. Yeah. Champion and Eldritch Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with yeah, Champion so, champ- so we can explain why the Battlemaster was a meta pick. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's. The, the champion, champion, I think it was definitely intended to be the quintessential fighter, the more fightery fighter. But it just feels dull and dumb and falls short. The champion feels like you have somebody new to the table and you want to put training wheels on them and you don't want to over whelm them with different abilities and things that they can do so you give them a champion and you say nothing has changed from any of the basic rules i've told you just if you roll a 19 you also get to be excited and that's literally it uh the like flavor of it. people i'm sure there are people out there who love <clears throat> playing champion fighters and i want to hear from you if Please you know don't. how you make it fun or why you enjoy it it's i, I you know i this is my favorite subclass <laughs> I, I love believe, the champion fighter. Everyone should it have to use one. We're doing a lot of talking over each other. It's my bad. <laughs> um, I, I think that it does have use, especially with multi-classing. If you've like, you're okay, all I need is a three dip and I'm a barbarian. So my criticals are super crazy high. So critting on a 19 changes a lot for me. That can make sense. Um, I, I'm not even saying that it's bad. I'm saying that it is extremely simple and from a pure, I guess, just option standpoint, you are very limited. Mm-hmm. You are the base class fighter and you get one little tweak to your abilities until really, I mean, 10th, really? yeah. One little you tweak. Get an additional fighting style. Yeah. I mean, you get at seventh get remarkable athlete. Break it out. Your proficiency bonus to strength to dex or cons checks, which is that don't already use your proficiency bonus. Right, that's the killer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Man, I mean, I feel like that should even be like, you know, to your if it was to your saving throws, I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. The champion should be super good at strength, dex, and constitution saving throws. I like that. Let's add proficiency bonus again to that. It's like expertise in a saving throw. 
Yeah, right. this is something no. I would like to add to because we said originally, and this is, it's not a great complaint, but I get it. It's the lack of out of combat utility. Um, and I think this is a great place that the fight, fighter just falls flat on their face because they have no bonuses at all, where something like this should make you truly a remarkable athlete. Right, totally like agree. Like rogue bard level, wow, that guy can jump over chasms well. <laughs> Which is probably the only thing you do really get out of this. When you make yeah. a running long jump, the distance you cover increases by a number of feet equal to your strength modifier. Oops. Or you could just have the jump spell cast on you. Right. <laughs> That's really dismissive, I know. But like, it's just, it's it's not enough. All right, well, why do you love the champion fighter? Because <laughs> it's the shortest in the book. <laughs> I'm sorry, I... I just think it's hilarious, and I hate I hate adding new rules to things. <laughs> Such a bad reason. <laughs> I know it's really bad, but like the ideal D anD D character is your parents were guards, you were a guard, and you're a champion fighter. Why are you adventuring? I like to adventure. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, never once, never once, have you played a character that was really that basic. I know. Even your last one, Musty. Sure, you did just like adventuring. I'll give you that. But you were a druid. The most complicated class in the entire game, in my opinion. It's up there. I don't know why I do that to myself. Every time I do that to myself, I think, boy, the champion fighter sure looks comfy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) As you're sitting 10 feet high up on a stone mound that you created and controlling the battlefield, as you always say, you're like, oh man, I wish I was just swinging my sword. <laughs> Getting crits on 19s, that'd be so much better. <laughs> I, I think it says a lot, and I, I don't say this to like actually call you out, Will. I know to some extent this is you making jokes. It's fine. But there's a reason why you have never actually played a champion fighter, and it only sounds good in theory. Yeah, I can't imagine it's that fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that said, again, it, that's that's not to say that you to, that people's experiences are uh, less valid. If you have had fun playing a champion fighter, that's not wrong. There was nothing wrong about having fun if you've played this character, this subclass, and enjoyed it. It's just that it's from compared to the others, not very exciting, right? And if you made it exciting, good. Tell us about it. We want to hear. <laughs> But I think we can go even further into why it isn't really exciting. And we revealed why we were kind of biased on this because we do play for years. And yeah, even the things you get, like additional fighting style, when that came out, when it, the book came out, the fighting styles were just little tiny baby numeric increases and they were often yeah. mutually exclusive. So you Very probably true. are the big, bad, great sword wielding guy. You don't have options here. You're going defense for your second one. All the rest of them, they're not going to work. Right. So you get this fun little, like, oh, I, you know, what am I going to get? Oh, man, so many options. Oh, my AC increased by one. What if just replacing that additional fighting style? What if it's just said at 10th level, your AC increases by one? (laughs) That's basically what you're getting. It's not that exciting. Right. But that has a little bit changed. We do have new stuff that was added uh, in Tasha's, I believe. And right, they're okay. They're okay. Yeah, a good amount were added. I think are are, are definitely worth uh, worth looking at. And uh, I guess Which we haven't done this once yeah. yet. I'll do the the wave here because we do go into 
a lot of detail on them. Uh, I guess throughout all of our Tasha's videos, is that a playlist? Right. We link a playlist. Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Check all that out. <laughs> right. All right. And then the final player handbook subclass is Eldritch Knight. This is the magic take on the fighter, um, which I think is, was definitely needed. And I'm glad they included this. And then especially in the player handbook, this was the, the simplest way to play a Gish, the melee focused spellcaster. Yes. There were, of course, other ways in multiclassing you could do, but the arcane focused melee spellcaster, this is how to do it when the game first came out. Um, they're a one third caster, so they don't get past fourth level spells. You know, at fifth level, they have three first level spells. So slots. So we're not, we're not talking a lot here and all of their spells need to be abjuration or evocation except for on a few levels they could pick outside of that so it's very limited but we've definitely had eldritch knights at our tables i've played an eldritch knight i think they feel good i think they're still fun to play the limited spells are just enough yeah i think that's a good way of putting it it's like you feel limited throughout your choices throughout your uses of spells but it's like I, maybe we're masochists, but like it's just like a good level of limitation. It's like, ah, yes, I shouldn't be able to do more than that. Uh, and I will definitely stand up as the the resident Gish hater. Um, this is the only Gish I like. I super respect. If you choose an Eldritch Knight, it's like, oh yeah, you're not you're not that good at magic. It's fine. It's it's the the Blade Singers. It's the Blade right. Singers I don't <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, one of the really big though game changing things for the Eldritch Knight is they get two cantrips. Any wizard cantrip. So that opens things up a lot. So a way to get ranged. Though they need intelligence for it. So it's a little weird. Yeah. But it, that's not super limited. Um, and then at 7th you get war magic. So when you use your action to cast a cantrip. You can make a weapon attack as a bonus action. Which is a really great combination. Yeah a little bit dated. In, in terms of. Uh, I guess usability. Because when you do look at. Tasha's Bladesinger. Is a full spellcaster and that has the ability to replace Basically. one of their extra attacks with a cantrip so you're using your action and you're not using up your bonus action to to it's get better, that out yeah. there it's it's inarguably better and right. that i feel like would be changed if this was re-released i don't see that happening until whatever the next edition of D is uh but i still don't think it feels that bad because fighters in general don't have a ton of uses for their bonus action yeah i agree um and going back to the versatility thing about the versatility and character creation I, at first this might Knights might seem like this is kind of one of the early exceptions to it but i don't think it is because you're not preparing spells you have very limited number of spells you pick a certain number of spells they could cast a very limited number of times a day and so it doesn't feel like it blows this class wide open to have all this utility magic and getting on par with the caster. It's always just supplementing the base fighter, which is still really solid with the action surges and the good attacks and the versatility and the ability to just keep going. Though these ones are more limited because it's the spells are, of course, a long rest, just like all others. Interesting. That'd enough, be an though. interesting switch. What, short rest? But, yeah, short rest spell recovery for an Eldritch Knight. Basically, be like a fighter warlock. Yeah. Hmm. And so, what are we going to say, Will? It's kind of interesting because the spellcasting is the spellcasting is so supplementary that 
they run out of all their spells and they, once again, there's, they're back to being a fighter. It's gonna, right. That's why it's I true. Like except for the cantrips. The cantrips are a little bit brutal. I, I have my own issues with the cantrips, but yeah, it's just the scaling. Cause they do get really, really good. And if you choose the right one, it's a lot of damage. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's always kind of the issue where if, you know, if, in a lot of situations, if you are a fighter, you actually have a good intelligence later levels, you know, you're at level 11, your firebolt might end up doing more damage and be better, be a better option than swinging your sword. And that can be a little bit difficult to stomach. Um, that said, I think most times with fighting styles and other things, uh, the damage usually comes out in favor of making multiple attacks, even just like the consistency of it being able to crit. I forget a firebolts one. Yeah. yeah firebolt is one. You can That's crit an attack roll. Yeah. Um, it, Split it up. Yeah. I say that's kind of important too. the fact that you can uh, cast a cantrip and make a weapon attack. It, it just kind of feels good in my opinion. It never feels overly strong. Right. Yeah. yeah I would say, fighters are the one that will keep up with cantrips because cantrips, their weapon dice doubles at fifth level and then triples at 11th. And that's when fighters get their extra attack and then a third attack. Nothing else gets third attack. So like if you're a blade singing wizard at fifth level, you get two attacks. And so those attacks are going to be the weapon dice plus your strength or dex, which cantrips don't get that sort of stuff. You typically don't get plus intelligence to it. So then at 11th, the Blade Singing Wizard is still doing two weapon dice plus their their strength, their dex, but then three dice of the cantrip. And that's where it could start outpacing it, depending on what their strength or dex is. Fighters, they keep right up with it. Yeah, which is definitely a, a point in the, the fighter's book. Just, I mean, Eldritch Knight, obviously, as as well, but just, I don't know, that's... I just hear too much stuff about fighters not being good <laughs> compared to spellcasters. It's true, but I want to like fighters so much. So just, I wouldn't say they're bad. It was just, they, it's what we said earlier. It's that they have less options. Yes. In some yes. cases that is bad. That's worse. But in other cases, like I mean, what they excel at, they excel at. Right. So With the exception yeah. of 20th level play. <laughs> <laughs> because at that point the wizards are casting wish and raining meters down from the sky and can make infinite clones of themselves and teleport things to other realms and rip apart the space-time continuum and the fighter could attack four times so i'll admit at 20th level it, like the real high level play really falls flat but it's so <laughs> rare to see it okay but counterpoint how often is raining meteors down from the sky a reasonable option compared to swinging your sword four times. Always. (laughs) How'd you expect us to answer that? (laughs) It's not about how you answered it. It's how the world at large hears it. At 20th level, I would think a lot. At 20th level, you're like going into the nine layers of hell to fight Asmodeus. Like you don't care about collateral damage. It's literally hell. Okay, but what if gods? What if you're the collateral damage though? If you're in a small room, whoa! Wizards are useless in tiny rooms. Fireball useless. Meteor swarm useless. This is actually this is 
this is a this is a separate point, but it is I think important, and it's that you're we were talking about the tactical choices. They kind of start evaporating at higher levels. So at level twenty, you probably are never going to shove or grapple anything ever again in your life. You're fighting things the size of mountains. Nope, it disagree. Just, because what in look at the games that I have run for you guys. The highest level stuff is always going to be a person, another person who is also well trained, and you are fighting wizards, other fighters, bards. Like these are honestly, if you want to challenge your players, get rid of the demon lords. Throw a level twenty wizard at them. That's a lot scarier. I mean, kind of, but it not is. really. You have to really overtune them. If you just use the flat ones, you, you, 5v1 is never I, a good option. I, well, yeah, not 5v1. Of course not. That's just silly. But I can add, as as the dungeon master, I can add as many of those as I need to. If I want to add five wizards at level 20, I wouldn't do that. But I could do that. Then but it's the 5v5. reality, your game... Anybody else's game, if you look in the DMG and you sort by challenge rating, there is a pretty clear pattern coming out. Yes, that is very true. A lot of it is going to be big, giant monsters and Tiamat and everything else. Tiamat still has minions. Minions are generally small, but whether or not you want to use a grapple, a trip on them and everything, I guess it depends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't I think just, you ever stop fighting medium-sized creatures. You just... I would say there is a decline. Game dependent. I don't know. I'll drop it. <laughs> so right. after the player's handbook, though, we move on to the greatest book of all time, the Sword Coast Adventure Guide. The one that has been literally forgotten and I think is no longer Adventure League legal. Yeah, I believe it's not. (laughs) I think they just got rid of it. So in that, they had Purple Dragon Knight, a subclass that if you're familiar with the show, we joke about all the time just being absolutely awful. That said, it has been quite a long time since I read it, so it was a nice reminder actually like sitting down and, and looking at the specifics of it. It's still not great. Nope. I don't even want to give it that much attention, um, especially if it's not even eventually legal anymore. It didn't change the class in any unique way. It didn't plug any holes or anything like that. You're kind of like, the generic name Purple Dragonite is for Forgotten Realms or the Sword Coast. Um, generically, they're called Bannerets. So they have stuff like Rallying Cry and Inspiring Surge. So the idea is they're supposed to like help out the party, but the Battlemaster could do all that. They have maneuvers. To yeah. do that. It's just like a slightly tweaked way to do it, and it's really underpowered, and I don't think it's interesting at all. No. Yep, it tried to be a support fighter. It didn't work out very well. Uh hopefully lessons were learned. I think they were, because we'll look at Cavalier where we see that comes out a little bit better, though it's not the exact same thing that they're going for. Uh but the, the one thing I'll leave with Purple Dragon Knight is I tried to see if like levels three through 10, if you gave all of those abilities at level three, if this class would be broken, the answer is no. It would probably just start to be where it should be. Again, levels three, seven, and 10. Give all of that at level three. Boom, you've got yourself a reasonable start to a fighter. <laughs> yeah. No, I will not elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> 
So then next, after that, we have Xanathar's, the first really big subclass book of fifth edition. And this introduced three new fighters. And we saw with the Ranger, the Xanathar's Rangers, really tried to shore up the issues of the base Ranger. Uh, Luckily, fighters don't have those issues with them. There's the holes we talked about. I don't think any of these three subclasses fix those. Maybe no. there was an attempt with Arcane Archer. Kind of. But that fell flat. Ultimately, these are just three different variations on how to be good at fighting things. These being the Samurai, Cavalier, and Arcane Archer. Yeah, so I was just alluding to how the Cavalier did try to be a support fighter, which the Purple Dragon Knight failed miserably at. Um, I won't say that it's like a pure support class, and if you're trying to play a pure support class, Cavalier is not the way to go. You're still more a fighter than anything else, but it does do things like give you bonus proficiencies at third level, something that is a pretty big concern with fighters, not having a lot of proficiencies, not being good out of combat. Um, They get some mounted combat stuff, which is nice if you're looking to be mounted combat, but honestly you can ignore it and still have a good time with this class. Uh, But then they have unwavering Mark unwavering Mark does lend to that support idea because it actually lets you be a tank, which is usually really hard to successfully pull off Mm -hmm. in fifth edition uh, as you can mark creatures and creatures marked by you have disadvantage on any attack roll that doesn't target you. And if they do target somebody else and manage to hit, you can make a special melee weapon attack against the marked creature as a bonus action on your next turn. And you get advantage on the attack roll. And if it hits the attacks weapon deals extra damage to the target equal to half your fighter level. So it's like all this stuff that just gets added on that, really tells a creature you're fighting me now and if you fight somebody else i'm gonna make you regret it right yeah and actually that's a really great overall point um in the player handbook the fighter it it don't everything about it seems to say you know if you're playing high strength of plate armor and a shield like you should be tanky you should be taking hits and being serving that role and there's absolutely nothing in the player handbook fighter to make that happen the closest is Sentinel of not letting something leave, but that's pretty situational and it doesn't force them to attack you. Xanathar started plugging that. They started introducing some things to actually force attacks. The Cavaliers want them. We'll find a way for Mark. Yeah, I think Barbarian, one of those classes yeah, in Xanathar gets it too. Something, yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, the Cavalier, I think did actually, I won't say it fixed everything about the fighter, but I do think it, it did fill a a really necessary niche. And because of that, it gift, it goes into my fighter hall of fame for subclasses. It's, it's not the strongest by any means, but it's just really good. And I feel like if you're trying to get that knight feeling, it nails it. And that's something that obviously purple dragon knight doesn't. And I don't feel like you're going to get with battle master in the same way. Uh, so I really, really happy with that subclass. Mm-hmm. Samurai feels really, really flavor focused on one specific thing. And like the stereotype of a samurai and mechanically, I find it a little uninteresting. They do get another bonus proficiency, which is great. But then, well, you, as a bonus action on your turn, you could give yourself advantage on weapon attack rolls until the end of the current turn. So you could give yourself advantage for one turn. Uh, you gain a bit of temp hit points, which I guess is nice. And then I get, you get it three times. It's it's okay. For long it's rest. Just, 
yeah, three times per long rest. It's it's okay. It's just not when super exciting, especially so, when you have stuff like the battle master with maneuvers to give yourself advantage and trip attacks to make somebody prone, give himself advantage and things like that. Our common theme when it comes to subclasses is I think we've said before, but I'll repeat is subclasses need to feel play style defining. And I don't think this feels play style defining in any way. It doesn't even tell you how you should be fighting. It tells you that once, sorry, three times per long rest, you're going to have a good round of attacking might've hit anyways. So it might not have mattered. I mean, advantage is nice, but let's not, oversell it too much it just makes your accuracy better and then you're going to get some temp hp that's it that doesn't tell me anything about how this class should be played it doesn't reflect the flavor in any capacity it's just you're gonna have a good round yeah and then like at seventh it's it's when if you make a charisma check you could gain a bonus equal to your wisdom in addition to the persuasion skill real minor thing which is probably not that high because it doesn't the wisdom doesn't really come up again unless I'm missing it. No, I don't. I, yeah, I feel like with this one, they, they relied on... There's obviously this just kind of... What's the word? Um, people just have this idea in their head of what a samurai is, and it's very much inspired by movies and things like that. And I doubt it actually was ever that realistic, but there is definitely this idea out there of what, what a samurai was or is. And I, I have a feeling they made this and thought, oh, everyone knows what a samurai is. So we don't need to worry about that too much. <laughs> the flavor text is literally two sentences. Yeah, it's samurai is a fighter who draws on an implacable fighting spirit to overcome enemies. Samurai's resolve is nearly unbreakable and the enemies in a samurai's path have two choices, yield or die fighting. That's so, yeah, it. It's just nothing there. How generic is that? Right. right. Cavalier gets the a paragraph. Samurai, would you get samurai from that? No, you'd get like just warrior. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this this definitely has that issue where it just comes across as this is another generic fighter, and we didn't need another generic fighter. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's the champion. Yeah, and I also feel like by this point. Xanathers came out, I think, three years after 5th edition had been in play. And to me, the screaming issue with these subclasses for the fighter is that at level 7, you get this ribbon ability. Every Almost every single one of them gets a ribbon ability. And they don't need it. They don't need a ribbon ability. They need something that actually is, is worthwhile. And maybe it's not fully a ribbon ability like the monk's ability to, to not drink or eat or anything like that, but they're usually really light social or out of, out of combat abilities. And they very easily could have been both a social ability and a lighter combat ability to just make the class a little more interesting. I think that's just samurai. Cavalier no, is the not. one. Do we need Cavalier to look up all sort of bad? Champions is bad. Battlemaster is bad. Battlemaster is bad. Eldritch Knight is when they get to the... Um, oh, yeah. So I thought you were saying it in Xanathar's. Okay. Um, no. Eldritch Knight is the one where they could get the bonus action, do a cantrip, and then do a bonus action attack. Right. It's kind of all over the place. A lot of them are bad when they shouldn't be. Like right. Cavalier I, gets Warrior Maneuver. You could, as a reaction, uh, roll a D8, and it adds to the AC. And if it still hits, then they get resistance to the damage. Like, that's great. Yeah, and then you look at Arcane Archer, who gets Magic Arrow, which is worthless, and then Curving Shot, which is pretty good. 
Um, right. But that's, I guess, what I'm saying. The standard should be the idea that here is like a, a little small thing. You know, maybe you get a proficiency bonus of some sort. And mm-hmm. on top of that, you get something worthwhile. Um, right. I know we're not using it as a huge example, but Purple Dragon Knight gets a absolutely worthless seventh level uh, feature where it's just a not worthless. I'm sorry. It's just a proficiency as like your seventh level feature. That's not very good. So there's just like an obvious uh, trend of when a seventh level feature is bad or just looked down upon, it's because it doesn't give any in combat stuff and the social stuff it gives is just not that interesting. Right. Um, Battlemaster, as we've kind of talked about before is not in this episode, but it's just kind of silly. It's like you can spend a minute observing somebody and Oh yeah. Get figure out their strength. Them. Yeah. Figure out if you're stronger or weaker than them. Things like that. Right. I think it's worth noting that the Samurai is the last of the martial uh, martial subclasses. And it's very clear that they were running out of steam and they're, they're going <laughs> to have to spice it up some other way. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. All right. So and then the, la- and the last answer is Xanathar's there is, subclass is Arcane Archer, which definitely, very much to the credit, is a major shakeup to the yeah. fighter. Even the art looks wildly different. The arcane archer is the, the magic archer. They get special arcane shots and can I apply effects on their arrows and curve their arrows. And it all sounds just super cool. Unfortunately, mechanically, it just falls flat. It makes it's, me so sad. It's such a shame. And I think they realize their mistake too when you look at Rune Knight in Tasha's because Rune Knight has the same kind of setup but such a better execution where uh, in, in Arcane Archer, you get two of your shots per short rest. The Rune Knight, it goes up as you level up. You get three right. runes at seventh level, four runes at 10th, and at 15th, you get five runes and you can use them twice. So the fact that you are only getting two of these Arcane shots and outside of that, you don't really feel like an Arcane Archer. You just feel like a fighter with a bow who can curve their shots that's literally the only thing once your arcane shots are out it's it's just disappointing uh and i find that the class works so much better as a like three level multi-class dip and ignoring intelligence altogether and going with things that you know get you a benefit outside of saves yeah um, just to clarify point you do get more arcane shots that you could pick like you start with two and then yeah more options but in terms of uses it's two it never goes up yeah, until 15th level where it's, if you roll initiative and have no uses, you regain one use of it. Right. Which just, and I most mean, of them aren't that good either. They're, they're Like your save's not going to be too crazy high usually because it's your intelligence. Right. And so again, I think we, yeah. we see like what, what could have been, and that almost disappoints me more when we look at Rune Knight, which I'm sure we'll go through in more detail, but a lot of the runes are level gated as well because they are objectively stronger. So they say you can't get this one until seventh level. And I think with arcane archer, they were so afraid of doing something like that, that all of them became really middling instead of a couple being okay. And then others being like, wow, that's really good because I'm 15th level and I have access to it now. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the biggest killer, the biggest killer is the fact that any damage on them doesn't go up the the options only improve at 18th level so at third level oh yeah and 
17th level, your arcane shots are all equal in damage, in length, in severity of any sort. It's terrible. It's so disappointing. Yeah. And it's definitely one that I think it's, if you played it, you can still have fun with it. It's not going to be an awful character, but there's just some obvious flaws that, oh, I'd take an Arcane Archer version two in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it could be a cool uh, Artificer subclass. And it's like, I can see that. You're making yeah, your, it's your arrows. It's more like Hawkeye at that point. But yeah. But yeah, totally agree. That said, you can just do a three fighter rest artificer multi-class and get a pretty good class right there. They both rely right. on intelligence. Um, if you do the one that changes intelligence, it could be a single attribute dependent class, more or less. Yeah, um, that might just be melee. I'm not sure. But either way, yeah. We don't need to look it up. You're looking it up. I see. I'm looking it up. You can't just say these things and, and not expect me to look them up. We have to be right about everything. Uh, so oh, that boy. is oh. <laughs> well, I think we got to delete the podcast then <laughs> uh, when you attack with a magic weapon you can use intelligence modifier instead of strength or dexterity so as long okay. as it's a magic weapon you're safe okay and your infusions make it magical correct yeah okay but I think we can move on from Xanathers keep chucking yep. through here so the next uh, change to the fighter came in the form of Echo Knight from the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mountain, the Critical Role setting book and campaign. I don't actually. I'm not even sure if there's a campaign. Definitely, no, I don't think so. Book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one is definitely a really unique take. It's extremely specific, <laughs> like in how it's like what exactly it is and how it tends to be played, and it is clearly made for a unique world. You could absolutely take it and put it in your game, but I feel like it's kind of an outlier in all the other fighter subclasses where the kind of most of the other ones, it's like here's some versatility and options and how you play them and how you create this character and you know, you're a fighter and do all this stuff or an Aquanite is an Aquanite. If that makes yeah. sense. It, it has a, a layer, an extra level of high fantasy to it. Whereas right. every other one could fit from like a, mid like low to medium high fantasy whatever that means this is like no 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 it's this is high high fantasy right yeah like a champion or a battle master they could be trained knights from birth they could be a scrappy folk hero who picked up a weapon and just has this innate talent and fell and found a really good instructor they could be warlords i mean there's a million different ways to go about it echonite's an echonite (laughs) (laughs) they have mastered the art of dunamis to summon the fading shades of unrealized timelines to aid them in battle battle they're time warriors (laughs) super like i love it i'm not even saying i hate the echo knight it just is an outlier and again it was made to be put in a setting book for a very unique established world so whatever it's fine but it is part of the discussion yeah yeah in terms of like just design it's pretty strong it definitely makes your fighter very good. The fact that you can, as a bonus action, call a 18 AC creature indefinitely. I mean, every single turn, it has one HP, but it's kind of hard to hit at 18 AC. And you well, can attack from it. It's your proficiency bonus. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're Where right. You get an 18 AC. Which can be 18 at one point. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it could also be 20 at some point. Whoa. Uh, yeah, sorry. Miss, misspoke there. But a fairly high AC yeah. creature. 
Um, yeah, you and, can swap places with it, attack from space. And it's indefinite, too. That's that's the part that I think gets me, is that uh, fighters, I mentioned earlier, generally don't have tons of uses for their bonus action. That it could probably be argued if you're doing like two weapon fighting, if you have a feat that gives you a bonus action use. Uh, but the Echo Knight highly, highly relies on bonus actions and uses them probably every turn. You can, again, magically swap places with your Echo Knight. You can attack from the Echo Knight's space, which doesn't even take a bonus action, um, or just summoning it takes a bonus action. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of interesting. I feel like it's almost surprising to me that other fighter subclasses don't utilize the bonus action uh, when it is kind of a a resource in the action economy that's just hanging there. Uh, Maybe it is to allow for feats or maybe there was no thought at all. And I'm overanalyzing. It's very possible, (laughs) but I appreciate that this one does. Right. There's also some weirdness I've seen of people using the echo Knight. I think it's specifically from Triant monk, but using the, the echo Knight to move vertically because it doesn't say that your echo has to be on the same like horizontal plane as you. So you can officially like put it 30 feet up and then switch places with it. And that's really nice for I positioning. <laughs> yeah. Or just definitely. have it fight flying things because it doesn't need to be on the ground. I don't know. That one felt a little weird to me. Right. It doesn't not make yeah, sense. Yes, it's from space. Right. Because the flavor is like, what is your Dunami? Uh, Dunami Echo Energy. <laughs> what is that? What is that way? Johnny Dunami. That's Dunami. that's my next. That's my next character. Is Johnny Dunami? It's he's a he's an Echo Knight. Um, Dunamancy is the yeah. It's a Dunamis is the the thing. The also at seventh get Echo Avatar, which is some good out of combat utility where you can transfer your consciousness to your Echo. Yeah, you can for up to 10 minutes, and where your echo is being used this way, it can be up to 1,000 feet away from you. So it's like good scouting and getting in interesting places, and it's, it's just some out-of-combat utility for the fighter, which we've talked about is missing. Yeah. So it's a neat one. So enough of Echo Knight. Next and last in terms of releases so far, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is going to be Tasha's. Like yeah, we I got- have insider information. <laughs> Come on. Keep the people anything. on their toes. Maybe we do. Maybe <laughs> maybe Wizard of the Coast has come to us, and that's that's why we're doing these class breakdowns. Uh, <laughs> so Tasha's did add a couple of martial archetypes to Psy Warrior and Rune Knight, but they also added a few optional class features. Uh, so we go into heavy detail about really all of these in terms of like giving a yeah, the, not just the optional class features, but also the, the subclasses. Again, heavy, heavy detail uh, in this video, these videos. I don't remember if they're one or two. Uh, I think it's just one. But the optional class features were mainly around giving additional fighting styles and a couple of new maneuvers, which really only applied to battle masters. Uh, but overall, I mean, adding more fighting styles was nice. I think it was one of those things yeah. that for me was like, why did it take so long to do that? Like, mm-hmm. Why weren't there some of these in Xanathers? Though I don't think any of them were that great as we talked about. Like interceptions were the close to protection. Blind fighting is only to realize a really, really specific character concept. Um, superior techniques, one of those things Will mentioned earlier about a way for uh, the rest of the fighters to get some maneuvers, but it's just one. It's super limited. Yeah. 
But the, the so other I two guess, I like. Yeah, sure. Thrown weapon and unarmed, sure. Those you're right. There was not really good options for those. For the the martial class is supposed to be good in every sort of fighting style. Yeah, they couldn't really do thrown weapons that well, and they were not good at unarmed. So that is a fair point. Yeah, and I think we we talked a lot about whether or not interception was as good or better than shield master, and it definitely came down to it's a little bit situational. But if you're trying to play a more, I won't even say support, but just like a protector role, and that's what you're really going for. If you do get two fighting styles like a champion, hey, you know what? Go with both. Maybe they they have some use, or do they just totally overlap? Yeah, they both need your reaction. Oh, never mind. That doesn't even work. Yeah. I take yeah, it what, Yeah, the protector one gives your reaction to impose a disadvantage on an attack when the your friend that you're doing it on is within five feet. Interception is after it hits your reaction to reduce 1d10 plus proficiency bonus in damage. One's a guarantee. One opposes a disadvantage. Who knows? Who knows? But I did I say I do like thrown weapon fighting. I do like unarmed fighting. Those add new ways to play a fighter that obviously weren't impossible before, but now they are incentivized instead of you ignoring the the other feats that you have or the other fighting styles you have. Right. Or just going with armor and or defense and just calling it a day. Yeah, and then the new maneuver options are great, but the Battlemaster was also already great. <laughs> Yes. So I don't know if it was really needed. It makes the, the Battlemaster more battle mastery. The one thing that was needed was that it added some out of combat ways to use them, which makes the Battlemaster worthwhile in less combat focused campaigns. Right. It's really awesome, actually. I, I think that those help a lot. But again, it would be nice if everyone got it. You didn't have to yes. be Battlemaster for that. Right. I think that's, that's again, the takeaway. It's like, oh, that's yep. cool. Can you give it to everybody? No. Okay. But you could get one use of them a day or one use per short rest and pick exactly one of them. And hope, the fighting style. hope that it comes up. You can get two by doing the feet and the style. But it's yeah. still kind of Oh, sick. sure. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot to commit. And if you're going to commit that much, you probably should have just gone Battlemaster. Right. <laughs> But there are two new subclasses, Psy Warrior and Rune Knight. Each one unique in its own sense. I don't know where to start with them. <laughs> Without just rehashing our whole episode. No, but I, I, I will I, I will point back to something Will said a bit ago, where this was, the samurai was the last marshal, because it seemed as though Wizard of the Coast is just out of ways to make a fighter interesting that doesn't involve giving them magic. Yeah, this one just doesn't care. Here's some magic. The Psy yep. Warrior is your telekinetic fighter, and it's really cool. It has a really awesome use of a resource, the the Psy die, and I like that you just get so many options with it. I honestly feel like it, it was a really good addition to the fighter subclasses because of how many options are added because from it. Sure. I'm surprised you're admitting it's really cool. That's your whole thing. Oh, I hate psionics. I'm Jared. That's my thing. <laughs> that's both of your things no i don't love psionics that's that's so yes. true um but i i do not love psionics that is fair of the psionics i think the fighter the psi warrior is easily the best and most interesting one yeah 
I don't remember what your final takeaway was in that episode. So we'll have to see if you contradict it yourself. But it's so possible. I mean, yeah. seriously. And if I mean, that if, was over a year ago, probably at this point. Right. So change. If, if listeners are like, whoa, they're contradicting themselves or Jared's a big fat liar. Uh, first off, you're right. Second off, thank you for listening for so long. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> that would be really sweet, guys. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I it's the side die are very similar to the maneuvers in terms of like, you've got these dice, it's a resource, you can use it, but I think they kind of went in just pedal to the metal of like, here's a bunch of uses. It's two times your proficiency bonus. And then once per short or long rest, you can use a bonus action to just regain one of them. And, you know, at the end of this with level 18, you're able to cast telekinesis with one of these. Uh, and I think you can do it once per long rest or spend one of your psionic energy dice to cast it again. And that just feels mm-hmm. like a great capstone, like always being able to just have telekinesis up and move people around, lock them down, whatever you need to do with telekinesis. It's by no means the greatest fifth level spell. It's not my favorite, but it's still pretty darn great. It is. It has a lot of versatility. Also a lot of out of combat uses as well. Yes. It's not just an in combat thing. I think it's a really great repertoire to the fighter. It kind of sucks. It takes the 18th level for them to get it though. Yeah, that's fair. I would but say it's... like, is it a fifth level spell? I, I would think 15th, maybe even a single use of 10th. Would it be that insane? Probably not. Uh, like like full casters are do have fifth level spells at that point. It's like a more limited catching up. But it's not like it's a slog along the way. The the path to your easy access to a fifth level spell is filled well, with pretty good features. Sure, it's more because no one's going to see it. <laughs> what you're telling That's me fine. people people don't just get to level twenty in every campaign they play. <laughs> I love it. We were saying earlier, like, we play three-year-long campaigns, still ended at level 14. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, unless I'm remembering wrong, the Psy Warrior does not have any choices to make, right? Correct. Yeah, you just get all these different things. And there's a bunch of different options you get with the Psy Die, but... Yeah, you're not making any choices as you level up, but you it's more that you have a lot of different options throughout your day. Yeah, um, I know that we talked about one of these three that you get at third level being like arguably the better use, but you know you got protective field, psionic strike, and telekinetic movement. Okay, cool. I've got three options. Seventh mm-hmm. level, you get two more. Okay, I'm all right with that. Tenth level, another use with your psionic energy die. And I think it just keeps going. Yeah, every single one of them use yeah can use a psionic energy die. Yeah. So this is one where it kind of contradicts some of the stuff we said earlier, where it is not versatile in character creation. It's pretty locked down of what you would do, but it is versatile in play. Because of all of the different options and uses of the psionic dice. Yep. Then we get the rune knight, last of our subclasses here. And this is probably one of my favorites. (laughs) (laughs) You said the game broke? Yeah, the game broke. They released Rune Knight. The game broke. It's all anyone ever plays now. <laughs> okay, let's calm down. It's not Twilight Cleric. <laughs> no, I, I like I like the Rune Knight. It's very strong. Um, 
it's been a while since I've like, I haven't actually seen it in play, so I can't really speak if I feel like it's overpowered or not, but. I have seen it in play and it is very strong. Um, I, it wasn't a super high level one. Yeah, we saw one fight with a rune. Did we? Yeah. Scott during the secondary campaign. Oh yeah, we did. We had a friend play as one. That's that's right. I forgot about that. But um, I haven't seen it extensively. He was <laughs> He refused to fight. I mean he was in that fight. And he said, No, no, my guy's a big softy and kind of tries to be a pacifist unless immediately threatened. And he stood in the back and didn't do anything. We did not see the Rune Knight in play. <laughs> I mean, no, that's that tells not... us everything we need to know about the Rune Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not counting that. I had a separate no. time where okay. somebody played a rune knight okay. at, at my table, um, not involved with you all. Uh, and it has a lot of use. I think it it feels super nice having these, um, the, the fact that for the rune knight, or sorry, for the runes that you acquire, they each give a in combat and an out of combat use to them. It feels mm-hmm. great. The fact that your choices while you level up matter the fact that you gain more of them, the fact that they have implications in your playstyle, both in combat and out of combat, it's pretty strong. I will agree with that. Maybe a little bit overtuned, but dang if I don't love it regardless. Yes, this very much goes back to the versatility and character creation. Because you get all these runes you pick from and has a major impact on how the how the character plays. Right, like you could have advantage on animal handling checks. Could you ask for more? No, you cannot. <laughs> is that actually one of them? It yeah. is, but it also gives you uh, advantage oh, on the intimidation were, checks. Right. Yeah. And other stuff. Say so that's that's like right. one of the pieces, which is what makes it nice. It's like, oh yeah, that's not everything you get. Right. You know, the cloud rune gives advantage on sleight of hand and deception checks. Well, cool, that, while you do get more of these as you level up, that kind of shapes your character. You know, you are saying if you were raised by cloud giants, or whatever you want it to be, however your your interaction is with cloud giants, uh, your character starts off as probably a little bit sneakier than most, um, more deceptive, maybe not actually stealthing around. That's nice. We've we've got some variation to the fighter. It's here. Mm-hmm. The cost, though, as we mentioned before, is every single one of these that really did fix the fighter over overwhelmed the flavor just completely. You no longer were a type of fighter. You were a rude knight, a psy warrior, yes. an echo knight. And I think that yeah. that's a cost I'm not thrilled with, but understand. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean? It overwhelms it. You're saying you can't be like a, a casual dude fighter anymore. So that makes it a problem. You're no longer. Yeah. I mean, you, you're just this crazy, like rune inscribing giant, like giant con. I don't know. Psy <laughs> warriors is like, what, where did you get? Yeah. yeah. I, no, I, I get it. I, I was actually going to say a similar thing too, but prior to Aconite, Champions, Battlemasters, Eldritch Knights, Arcane Archers, Samurais, and Cavaliers are all very open-ended. It's like, oh, what does that mean to your character? Like, you, you could be one of a million things. And it's like, it's kind of how they're fighting manifests. Then Echo Knight, Psy Warrior, and Rune Knight is just like, 
it's a tunnel vision. It, it is what it is. It's like you are a rune knight. You get magic from runes. You apply it on things. This is how you fight. This is how you deal with the world. Your character is all based around that. So we have having psionics. And of course, you could reskin things. And right, what, right. But the flavor not, as but, given. Yeah. That's pretty and fair. Even the, even the play style is very much in line with that. It's like the Echo Knight like, marked this really big switch. Yeah. And I guess there's some question as to whether or not that's a, a good or a bad thing. I mean, regardless, it's true. I, I agree with you. Is it bad? I don't entirely know. As long as we have more options, then to me, that seems like it's a good thing. But it's a lot more fun when you get a class like a Cavalier that does feel like, wow, this is super open and how I want to take this compared to the Rune Knight, which is a you are now the giant fighter. That's it. And you, you can't really step outside that without reflavoring it. Right. I think even like beyond the rooms, they get giants might, they could grow in yes. size and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get around it. Even if you are reflavoring it, I don't know and how I would you say, would, to be honest. Like you can reflavor anything in this game, but these are examples where you, you're going to have to put in some work to fix yeah. all these mechanical things to another idea. They're just, they just drip the default flavor. And there's yes. no getting past. Why do you get huge? It's like, oh. <laughs> Which in some senses is great. We've definitely made complaints where the flavor and the mechanics don't line up at all with previous things where the flavor made it sound like it was trying to be one of those, one of those things that drips flavor and then the mechanics are very generic and that kind of, eh, I felt like they could do better. With the Psy Warrior and the Rune Knight, they did mesh it beautifully, which is great, but it does go against what the fighter originally was. And yeah, I'm with you, Jerry. Like, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just... An observation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to say that the the longer things go on, the more subclasses we see, the more I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because if you don't want to play a giant fighter and you don't care about giants, choose a different subclass. There's other options out there. If you want to play something more generically, no one is stopping you from doing that. There are options there. Okay, unless your DM is saying you can play a fighter, but it has to be a rune knight. In which case, yeah, okay, somebody is stopping you. But <laughs> otherwise, the world is your oyster. So crack it open. <laughs> Sounds like a thing like a second grade teacher would say. Right. <laughs> it's horrible. But I don't like oysters. I hate oysters too. Mm, I don't get oysters. it. It's snot. Like, let's just eat snot. It's fishy snot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and everybody says that like that's a benefit. Like, no, 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 no. It's not boogers. It's fishy boogers. <laughs> get out of here. Like, this is a prank that everyone's playing on me is that oysters are good. <laughs> that's going to be the defining hot take of the podcast. <laughs> Jared and Ellie don't like oysters. <laughs> Two hours into this episode. That's all anyone's going to want to talk about. At least there's discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my final thoughts, though. On the Rune Night is oysters are not good. And <laughs> and that it's okay. I am okay with, with letting go of of open wide subclasses and that f flavor prescription is fine. As long as we have options, if this was and like, as long as it's not fishy, as long as it's not, well, no, cause I like the, the tentacle warlock and that's pretty fishy. That's technically very different flavors. 
dang, you're actually right. <laughs> I say I've actually yeah, like squid's a thing you can eat. That's right. It does not taste like fish. Very different. Uh, this, is but not if these were like the into. <laughs> if if the first two, sorry, if the first three classes in the player's handbook though were the rune knight, the psi warrior, and the echo knight. Like, yeah, we'd have some issues. Yes. Even if you replace one of those, like, oh, no, no, we're not going to have the Psy Warrior. Uh, Psionics is still being worked on. We'll give you the Battle Master, the Echo Knight, and the Rune Knight. It would be like, wow, I feel pigeonholed yes. quite strongly. Yep. So I think this is just kind of an inevitable thing that's that's going to keep happening. Okay, so that's a pretty comprehensive coverage of the fighter, what we believe they are, what they've done through through the ages. Of just fifth edition changes, we'd like to. These are going to be like seven-hour episodes if we open it up to like. Oh, let's start with first edition. What was the fighter? Um, first, we have to learn first edition. I say, yeah. <laughs> future. What would you guys like to see in the future? Um, I think we've we've probably hinted at a lot of it. the The big one for me from the base class is. It's it's just like what we saw with what we talked about with the ranger. I love the idea of every class getting this defining resource and then using subclasses to rework it. And if you gave every single fighter maneuvers and then each subclass had unique maneuvers to their subclass and then, you know, some in addition, to me you'd have a a very very strong mechanical class. Not not just strength in mechanics, but just like the the concept of it would be just fun. I guess that's what I'm getting at. That just sounds fun. It does. And then I mean, it would be you sacrifice the battle master that would no longer exist <laughs> just in a volcano. Yeah. Drop the battle master. Oh yeah, no, you gut it and throw its entrails all over the place and divine from it what the new maneuvers are. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rip the battle master, but it saves the rest. Yeah. <laughs> There is a world where if you wanted to go that direction, I don't think I would, but you could keep the battle master and just make it be that they get more and they are the best at using maneuvers. Their superiority dice go up quicker compared to everyone else's. You know, fighters normally cap out at, they start at a D6 and cap out at a D10. Battle master starts at a D8, caps at a D12. They get additional options for their maneuvers. Things like that. There are ways to still keep it but I don't think it's necessary. And I do think that overall the other fighters would be strengthened and champion would have a place. If you rift out the entrails, as Will said, right. I think something that would also help the fighters a lot. And you see this in other systems. I'm pretty sure fourth edition did it. And it's very common in, um, CRPGs, the once per encounter abilities, or you get this like twice per encounter. So something between, and at will use or a like proficiency bonus per short rest. It's like every encounter, here's the thing you can do. We can only do it once. And those can be pretty versatile, can be pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. So that's making me think of like, I'm, I'm playing through Dragon Age Origins right now, where you have things like a, a shield bash. So you can hit somebody with a shield and knock them prone. And like, that's a... That one's on a cooldown because that's how Dragon Age Origin works. Right. But that being a once sure per a combat... Feat, but- <laughs> a shield bash? Does um, it shield master do that? I don't. You know can definitely hit somebody with a shield. I don't know if it knocks them down. <laughs> you can hit a lot of people with a shield, Elliot. Yeah, right. Let me tell you. 
Um, and you're right, but that's still, I guess, yeah, maybe that's not a good example. That's the first one that came to mind, though. I know it's, yeah, I got the gist of it. Um, and then I, I don't have a concrete way of how to do it, but something to apply to all of the fighters, and this would be something you want to bring into probably barbarians and maybe even rogues. Better out of combat utility to keep them relevant outside of combat, especially as the magic users start getting more expendable spell slots in just ridiculous spells. Yeah, my big thing is that anytime you give a marshal a combat ability, you don't affect the balance of the game in any way if you also give them an out of combat ability. They're just they're used separately. Yeah. It's fine. You know, you're right. not going to say, oh, well, the, the fighter has advantage on charisma checks to persuade people. Well, now they're just way too strong in combat. No, it's not going to affect it. It's fine. They just now feel worthwhile out of combat. Right. Um, and with that, I, I could hear an argument against us saying, well, then they're stepping on the toes of, like the bard in the face of the party. But... A, those like to something like a bard can get expertise and double their proficiency bonus and be better anyways. And also, I, I, I dislike that concept of the face of the party. Yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of times things go back to about not wanting to step on the toes of the face of the party. And it's, is that is that really how people play? Where during like social interactions, everyone sits back and lets one person do all the talking and do all the roles? I know no. at our table, it's like some of our players, not the characters, some of our players are a little quieter. And don't talk much, and that that's fine. But in terms of other than that, it's I feel like everyone's equally rolling persuasion checks and deception checks because everyone like sometimes somebody starts trying to say something and ends up trying to persuade them, and it's like, yeah, it wasn't this planned out thing of the face optimize themselves to do it, but right. I, I'm not entirely sure. I guess we'd have to ask every single table. Uh, that actually would be like a good question though to to pose to the internet is do you have a party face do you rely on the party face i definitely think there is times where you know if you're pre-planning out a conversation mm-hmm. you might say uh maybe the paladin should deliver this and i think that actually did happen in in one of our recent sessions is because sure i am one of those people that talks a lot i know listeners <laughs> you're probably surprised that i talk a lot at the D table but i'm currently playing a low charisma high intelligence artificer and the last thing i want to do is to be like i should lead all of the social situations because i have zero social skills on my character sheet so in i guess into some extent like i've got there are times where we push people to have the important conversations but i've still made persuasion roles i've still made intimidation roles and if i had mm-hmm. something that out of uh, I, I guess my other class mechanics added to those, I'd be cool with it. And it doesn't even have to be social roles. There's other checks as well. Right. There's other skills exactly. in yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah, that was just one example. But yeah. yes. Yeah, we're saying with um, like stepping on skills of the, the toes of the skill monkey. Like, all oh, fighters now getting good skills, like a rogue or bard to get. It's like, okay, so what? And then there's someone else who could also do do well at other skills or in situations where they need to do it, where the other person can't. So they both need to do it. It's yeah. And that, I think that works out really well at our table because we very often do the thing where you need to have proficiency to make the role at all. And to me, that makes skill monkeys even more worthwhile because one, they have more skills, they have more chances to roll for it. But also if you have things like Jack of all trades, I generally allow people to roll 
for everything because that's the whole point. That skill would be worthless if you couldn't make those roles because you're not proficient in them. Right. Um, so that definitely comes up a lot. I, I definitely do not see at our table adding more skills to Marshall, stepping on the toes of skill monkeys in any capacity. It's just like you said, it, it, sh- it shares the love, but it does not hog the spotlight. Right. Uh, and then the other thing on a different note is I do still stand by indomitable. Sh- indomitable should just be legendary resistances. That's sure. like an easy change that I feel like I, I really would like to implement next time somebody wants to play a fighter at our table and gets to level nine, which doesn't happen that often. I feel like it would make them feel a lot cooler when, when they use that ability. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not done about the out of combat stuff. Oh no. <laughs> so I'm sorry. It, I um, have no, 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 no. You were good. I, I, I mean, I want to go back to it because I have more thoughts. Not that you interrupted me and stole away. We are good. Um, thinking about it, just giving fighters more skill proficiencies. That's kind of what we were talking about. There is still not going to do it, if we're being honest. No, because I like, yeah, yeah, like the casters, the the, the full spell casters get tons of out of combat utility for like bypassing puzzles and ridiculous situations and teleporting around and bringing like open up holes in walls and charming people magically to make them do what they want. And now because you could add plus four to your charisma check or your animal handling check, it's like you're not keeping up. It does need to be more than that. That's very fair. Um, and I'm sure we could sit around and think of some ideas. One that just popped into my head is in regards to the champion that is supposed to be this remarkable athlete and all of those things. Uh, the idea of them being able to assist people who maybe aren't remarkable athletes. You know, people in your party have learned from your abilities and and watching you do something first. Once you succeed on a, uh, say, athletics check that's sort of looking for once you succeed on an athletics or acrobatics check uh your party has plus two to the role or whatever plus your proficiency bonus to the role uh which is still around skills but it's that idea of helping others as well to it um you know going to to rogues that if they were able to help with stealth roles like that's something that is helpful and out of combat so i'm sure there's a lot of things that you could come up with that even aren't skill related that would be very nice to have you can just rip out the rogue stuff reliable talent and expertise would go a long way of making it feel like you were a remarkable athlete and you could kind of if you do like one skill with expertise and reliable i think a lot of characters will feel just a little bit better yeah there's something nice about reliable talent there's something very nice about reliable talent it's pretty great (laughs) You know, and then I guess other fixes would just be individually writing in class features that do it. The the champion lean into them being a champion. They have there's they gain such a renown that it it almost would start sounding like a background feature because like they're all background. They have these kind of features that I feel like almost never come up, but they can. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a failing on how we run our games. Nah, we're not alone but, there yeah yeah uh yeah yeah you're known your your prowess is known far and wide and because of that people are more apt to kind of go in this all around you and just kind of listen to what you're saying out of like ridiculous situations and yeah i i like definitely that. can see uh that as as well as um uh sh- dang it i lost it 
Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, earlier editions did do things like this where fighters were actually expected to have followers. And oh, that was cool. like, that was a thing that just, I believe, please, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Older editions, I believe it was baked into the class where you would get followers at certain levels, maybe not like a certain amount or something. Again, I don't know the specifics, but uh, that is what kind of helped with the martial spellcaster disparity. Uh, being a spellcaster kind of sucked a lot more because it costs gold to do like everything. And then fighters got people who followed them and you could have carry your stuff or send them into dungeons or control them in combat, whatever. Yeah, actually that's awesome. I like that idea a lot where fighters kind of get like retainers. Yeah. <laughs> who help them with shit. And maybe they're like way, way. I guess fifth edition has tried to do that with like sidekicks and stuff. I know there's been UAs, but kind of like codify that into the fighter class. And yeah. that sort of makes up for, and if you don't want that to be part of your character where you have like a little fan base following you around and doing shit for you, just mechanically pull it out of someone else doing it. And now your fighter can just do it and come up with a reason why it makes sense. But yeah, that could be interesting. It's, it's definitely a hard one because it gets messy when you say at level 10, you're going to have another person following around, uh, you know, a little, 15 year old who's just excited and wants to adventure and says, I really love what you're doing. Can you teach me? And you're like, uh, okay, sure. I guess here's a sword. Um, if we need to go dungeon diving, you're setting off the traps. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked really well for earlier games because dungeon diving was like the thing you were adventuring. Uh, it's not to say that people didn't do these big sprawling campaigns with heroic events you definitely did but there was still more of an expectation of we are going to be going through an adventure npcs are expendable and right. that's about it yeah <laughs> or a um the phantom rogue i think handles it that kind of aspect of a well where they could get a proficiency or is it expertise or proficiency i know you're playing one right now will it's proficiency yeah yeah, it's basically saying you, you have a contact of a dead person who's an expert in one, one of these skills and you could kind of like get information from them and you get proficiency proficiency for the day or something like that. Um, making that just an alive thing. So like, yeah, it's very much would have to be up to a DM discretion, but you know, fighters after this level, they've gained enough renown and fame if they're in a town or around other people and need a specific task help with they can most likely find somebody to help them with it. And it's, so it's not a permanent sidekick. I do like the idea that the fighter gets that and no one else does. Like the bard is going from town to town, singing tales of their heroic deeds. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're a bard and you're kind of annoying. The fighter though, what do you need, bud? Right. <laughs> Except for the bard just doesn't need it. <laughs> No, I guess not. That's, yeah, it would be a balance ring. Right, I, I'm, I guess I'm just saying from a realism standpoint, it makes yeah. no sense. I like have the ideas that we put out, but it just—it's a big ask to make followers a thing in D and D. It's just not how the game is anymore, and it's not how people play it anymore. And the reality is that managing NPCs, I think, is 
It, I think it's a foreign concept that people don't think is really welcome in their game, especially as like a permanent fixture. It can feel messy. I mean, I, I agree. I think that's that's why I would lean away from this as well is because it we've had NPCs in the party and it very often feels like they're just they can be forgotten because you're focused on the people who are around the table with you. You don't remember that. Oh, right. We've got somebody else traveling with us. Are they alive right now or did we forget <laughs> about them again? Uh, right. And you hear a lot about it with people getting pets in in D&D and that's a little more comical but NPCs I don't know it, maybe it is because of the way we've played for so long that it's just a skill that isn't there um, I've actually played with somebody else in the past not at a table I enjoyed but <laughs> but that person had a follower and they used them all the time for a lot of things. Uh, it, you could tell that they were an old school gamer because they it was ingrained in them to kind of have this as a, a backup, um, as a person that's used for miscellaneous tasks. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't the type of game I wanted to play either, though. <laughs> I think like what I was saying very early on in the episode about the history of D&D &D and where it came from, it, that's another thing where back in the day, Proto D and D was you had a bunch of little metal dudes that you painted and you sent them into combat. They didn't have names; they were stat blocks. And it's like, what do you want to look at when you've got fifteen dudes charging up a castle? You want like the champion stat block, not the warlocks. So yeah. that idea, it's just. And then you see the rune knight, and that's the direction I think everybody kind of wants things to at least trend. So for better or worse, I know I do to be the way. Yeah. So I think it would be a struggle. I guess I don't know if I have a great concept beyond adding skills to the fighter to make them feel better out of combat. Um, that that say the the followers, yeah, might be a little bit messy. There's, it's hard. It's a little bit hard. And yeah. I can't. I usually will try to think of what have other classes done successfully. Most of the time, it's adding skills and proficiencies. Yeah. Or just, yeah, custom writing abilities. Custom writing abilities? Like they can yeah. write? No, like you write a, you create a custom ability. Like, you know, their fifth level feature is to do this cool out of combat thing. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Not, I'm saying, not just like a rule to apply over everything. Even of those, though, I'm like, I'm having a hard time thinking of yeah. other classes that have done that well. Same now what? i'm looking i'm trying to like <laughs> sift through but you know what it's not it, worth it's, it if it's not coming to mind there's a reason yeah but yeah that's that's the fighter yeah let us know what you all think if you've if you've made it this far in the episode uh then please your thoughts on the fighter uh maybe some ideas that you could think of of how to create some some out of combat use for the fighters uh definitely would love to to discuss it and the other things that i love to discuss are our affiliates like metallic dice games where you can get 10 percent off your order using the code mm10 for dice 10 percent off helps the show you love dice that's why you're a fighter is because you love dice right <laughs> they get a lot of dice Okay, maybe not as many as a wizard casting like a high-level fireball, but dice nonetheless. If 
you want to help the show in other ways, you can go to monstersmulticlass.com forward slash support, uh, where you can find our Patreon, you can find our other affiliates, and make sure to like and subscribe, leave a comment. His brain just turned off there. Quite a long episode. Uh, it has been. Thank you. Thank you all for sticking with us, or through multiple listens. Who listens to a podcast in one go? There's, there's too many hours. And thank you as usual to our patrons, Jeff W, Joe P, Vincent M, Isaac M, Sentinel D20, Star Shinobi, Adam A, Ed G, Bob F, Craig A, Brian H, Luca L, Rob K, and Muddleweight. Those are two new ones at the end there, so. Thanks. That is just going to get lengthier and lengthier. All right. And as always, thanks for watching. <laughs>